You've seen the best. You've seen the worst. Now here's the rest of both worlds. I'm Gayfesh. In the criminal justice system, the people are represented by two separate yet equally important groups. And I'm Ari, the police who investigate the crime and the district attorneys who prosecute the offenders. I'm Demon Mama. These are their stories. Boom, boom. And today we will be discussing the Star Trek The Next Generation episode, The Measure of a Man. Demon Mama, welcome to the show. Yeah, nice to have you here. Thank you. Yeah, happy to be here. Uh, uh, I, I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited for this project and happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Uh, I, I, I know that you've watched uh, Star Trek at least uh, somewhat, but uh, why don't you tell, talk about uh, what you've seen um are you would you consider yourself a fan? Yeah, um I would consider myself uh like a a, a Star Trek fan for sure. Um it's it, I, I don't think I have the knowledge that a lot of like uh Star Trek fans generally would. Um but like when I was when I was little, Star Trek was my first of uh, like outside of video games was probably my first obsession. Um I had I like I still remember when my dad got me the the TNG phaser nice uh toy at long like i literally remember the restaurant we were in when it happened <laughs> it was like late at night it was like 9:30 and we were traveling at florida and my dad was like hey i have a surprise for you and we were at a restaurant and he had gone to a toy store earlier and seen the TNG phaser and i lost my mind <laughs> um one of the first big toys i ever got when i was a kid that was like a the 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 like exciting uh, birthday Christmas present. I can't remember if it was birthday or Christmas for this one, but was the um, the uh, the oh my god, is it the warbird, the greenish ship that has bird like the curving down bird of prey, bird of prey? Yeah, and um, I had a giant toy of that that had these little buttons that made all the sound effects on top, like hard plastic. You know, you could take the wings off for like if you if it got shot and whatever. It was so cool. Um, <laughs> so I've been a big fan. I've I've seen all of the Star Trek movies at some point in my life. Uh, most recently, I did a watch through of um, the the uh, the first three films, and then um, I've seen most if not all of TNG at, but not in like order. I've never watched the whole series through from beginning to end, but mm-hmm. over the years I've watched pretty much every single episode in the series. I have not seen deep space nine. I have seen, um, the entire original star Trek series. Um, and I went to like a early launch of, uh, the, the, the first of the, uh, JJ Abrams films. Uh-huh. Um, mm-hmm. and I've seen all those. So, um, so yeah, I've, I've spent a lot of time, uh, uh, watching and thinking about and enjoying Star Trek. Oh, also the first song I ever learned on piano, uh, that was like from sheet music was the TNG, uh, intro theme. Oh, that's um, so cool. So yeah. <laughs> I'm a huge fan of Jerry Goldsmith. So that's a, that, that, that's a good one to learn. Yeah, it's it's amazing, and also just like uh, even like even just before when we were watching when we were watching the episode for today, like uh, I was watching it with some of my housemates, and I don't know, it's just I I still love that theme. I've heard it literally thousands of times, and and it still sticks in my head. So I understand why when I was younger I was so driven to learn it. Um, but yeah, so like again, I've I I guess I would say that I'm like a, a casual fan in that way. I've seen like a lot of the show, and I really like it and really respect it. Um, but I, I guess I don't have like I have never done full watch throughs of, of, of any of the of the seasons or anything like that. So I, I probably couldn't tell you episode names or anything like that. Um, Me but, either. So it's OK. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
Well, that's good. I, I'm glad. Uh, I know that, like, uh, you know, Star Trek is kind of famous for having, uh, you know, very, very passionate fans. And uh, I get that 100%. Um, and uh, I don't know. I guess maybe in recent years I haven't really kept up. I haven't watched Picard. I didn't really watch the other, the Discovery, I think it was called. Star Trek yeah. Discovery, was that it? I yeah. didn't see those. Um, I just... I don't know. I don't watch a whole lot of TV anymore. But um, but yeah, when I was younger, I was really, really, really into uh, Star Trek and um, was I even had I even remember having like uh, little shirts of they were did not look anything like it. But when I was a kid, I had a yellow, <laughs> red, blue shirt and I would have the little uh, um, little Starfleet uh, communicator badge oh, nice. uh, that just lights up. And, and, and I would run around with that on just because I, I liked it so much. I used to watch it a lot with my dad. Um, yeah, so, yeah, that's, so cool. that's sort of my history with the show. OK, so today we're going to talk about The Measure of a Man. It's the ninth episode of the second season. It first aired on the 13th of February, 1989. It was written by Melinda M. Snodgrass and directed by Robert Shearer. This is the first poker episode. Oh, there's more. Poker is a running theme through the rest of the of the series. I always love it when they're playing poker. Jade is always wearing that visor with the clear uh, brim. And uh, but this one is very much about because it's Data's first time playing poker and um, he doesn't really understand what bluffing is like. He loses to Riker, even though he had a three pair and Riker was bluffing a, a flush. And he's like, it mm-hmm. makes no sense to bet when you can't win. And Riker's like, but I did win. I was betting that you wouldn't call me. Yeah, the bet isn't <laughs> the bet isn't on the cards. The bets on the uh, on the 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 intentions of the other person. Mm-hmm. I will admit when I when I first ever heard the title of this uh, episode, I, I did think it was going to be about something very different. Um, I also did not think it was a Star Trek episode. And I was like, wait a minute, is this my por- porn collection? Um, <laughs> <laughs> nah, but uh, but no, I, I, I was really happy to watch this episode again because, um, uh, first of all, I don't know. I, I feel like this is one of the best one of the best uh, TNG episodes, one, certainly one of the ones I remember uh, the best from the last time I watched uh, the series. Um, and... Wow. Uh, the the opening poker scene is is a fantastic tone setter for the episode. It is. It really does set it up like it's different. And this whole episode had a different tone than all the ones that I've seen so far. And so this, having that poker, it really set it up, you know, like, OK, this is different. This is it also, of course, reminded me of Battlestar Galactica, because that's the in the miniseries when Kara punches out. Uh, Who does she punch out? Ty. She punched out Ty. Ty? Yeah. Yeah. It reminded me of that. So, you know, you know me. I like everything to be a reference. But um, (laughs) I just thought that was I thought it was a really cool intro. It was one of my favorites so far, actually. So the basic plot of this is that um, they're they're at a star base and there is a scientist, Bruce Maddox, who wants to take data apart. He wants to study his brain take them apart and put them back together. And Data doesn't want to do it because he doesn't feel confident that Bruce Maddox can do it without basically killing him. He's like, yeah. oh, we can yeah. just dump your memory into the, the, the station computer. And he's like, yeah, but I think you're going to lose the quality of it. I think it would just end up being facts and figures and you 
you kind of he didn't say soul but it was kind of like that implication like you would you would mm-hmm. l- lose the flavor of it i think the words he said was uh, you would lose the ineffable an ineffable quality mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. and uh it was funny because um, me and my partner were both watching it and we kind of paused it for a moment and went back and forth about whether or not that's a bit of an essentialist position about memory and experience but mm-hmm. I, I uh i i think uh yeah i think it's the it's the the ineffable ineffable quality that's lost and i think there's a few ways to interpret that i think one way is to you know the way the episode sort of centered on being that it's so tied up with the sort of uh talking about the legal precedent that uh you know, follows from the episode, but, but Mm -hmm. I think it's also very, uh, you know, interesting that there's like, there's like the soul angle, but there's also just like, well, how do we know that there's not a lot of stuff, a lot of information, contextual information that's being lost in the transfer process from this unbelievably complex Android brain to a ship computer. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's not even necessarily from a soul perspective, but just lost information. I don't know. I think that's interesting. Because is, is the ship's computer going to be able to process the same speeds and rates and stuff that data does? Even if we take the soul part out of it, like, is the computer going to be on par with the same type of thinking and logic that data has? He actually gives his specs in this episode. He did. Yeah, I know. Uh-huh. I remember that. And yeah. I, 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 he, he wrote that he said, like, uh, he didn't use, like, the uh, the metric prefixes. So I had to do the calculations, but I calculated it. Uh, his brain has an internal memory storage capacity of 100 petabytes bytes and okay. his processor runs at 60 terahertz okay interesting okay so how fast so so is he as is he smarter than or less smart than an iphone uh smarter than an iphone but he's probably about on par with an android <laughs> oh god damn it i didn't even mean to set that one up i didn't even mean to set that one up i saw it coming i'm like ooh. yeah you got it you got the you predicted me there <laughs> oh damn i got countered uh yeah um oh god uh so oh yeah you wanted to probably finish the 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 yeah intro let's yeah, go so um uh, Data it doesn't want to do it, but uh, Maddox is like, "Well, look, I'm I'm got orders from Starfleet to transfer you under my command, and you'll have to do it." And uh, there's a JAG officer that Picard has a love hate relationship with because when he lost the Stargazer, she court martialed him. But you know, he's like, "Look, I, I I don't want him to do it," and she's like, "Well, you know, he could always uh, resign from Starfleet uh, if he doesn't want to mm-hmm. uh, follow orders." And but then Maddox is like, "Well, no, he can't resign from Starfleet." He's not a person. He's Starfleet's property. And that's what triggers the uh, the hearing because Picard, because mm-hmm. uh, the, the JAG officer, she's like, well, I, I think that's probably uh, um, that, that that's probably supported by precedent. And so Picard's like, well, I'm going to challenge this ruling. So he becomes the uh, the defendant. But uh, interestingly, she's like, look, I don't have we're just setting up the starbase up. So I don't have a legal office here yet. Uh, I mm-hmm. don't have any staff. So, uh, it's because they spent their entire budget on carpet. (laughs) (laughs) It was so carpeted, carpet and and realistic poker chips because they had a (laughs) load of realistic poker chips in a pinch. 
I can use senior officers. So uh, Riker, you can go ahead and prosecute. And Riker's like, I'm, I'm not going to prosecute. The data's my friend. I don't believe that he's not, you know, a person. I don't believe that he's Starfleet property. And she's like, well, uh, if you can't do it, then I'm just going to rule summarily uh, that data is a toaster, which I was like, oh, mm-hmm. hey, it's a, um, yeah. we talked about like the, the slur toaster for Cylons a couple episodes ago, didn't we? Mm-hmm. We did. Yeah, that one was definitely a reference. I, I feel like it was. Yeah, because toaster, that's from the original uh, BSG. That's what they called Cylons. But anyway, so Riker's like, okay, fine, I'll do it. And there's a wonderful scene where Riker is studying the schematics of Data, and he discovers Data's off switch, which is something that Data's kept pretty secret, but I think they learned about it from studying Lore's body. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, I think so. And But as soon as he sees it, there's this wonderful bit of acting that Jonathan Frakes does because his eye lights up, his eyes light up. Like He's like, ah, I've got something. This is going to be good for the case. And then immediately he's like, oh, this is good for the case. And his, yeah. his head sinks because he's just like, I'm yeah. I am prosecuting my friend. And yeah. um, I love that. Now, I, I got to say, though, I don't think and I actually watched a, a legal eagle video where he reviewed this episode and uh-huh. he said that uh, picking Riker to do it. He's like, well, I think there's a conflict of interest inherently in having him right. be the prosecutor. Um, and I think it would just make sense to have bruce maddox be the prosecutor because he's uh he's the same rank as Riker. he's a commander uh and he's the one who wants it so it would make sense for him to prosecute but yeah you know it it ups the stakes it, it if reduces, Riker has reduces to... the dr- the dramatic tension and also right it, le- yeah. it lets that last scene at the very end of the episode oh, yeah. unfold which is an awesome scene yes it is <laughs> so they go through the trial and um, Riker's arguments are mostly uh, breaking down like the facts and figures of Data's existence, pretty much pointing out that he is a machine like he removes his arm and shows it, has him bend some steel, uh, presses his off button. I know I, I really wanted the I have been murdered <laughs> to start playing because I was like, oh, my God, I was writing a note and I went, oh, my God, he just killed Data. <laughs> yeah, the, the like the honestly, it's funny, like. I would say that the arm removal is is almost like at least how the show presents it. It's almost more offensive than the, than hitting mm-hmm. his off switch. Like the 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 the, the sort of clinical uh, uh, distanced cold way in which they just are like, I am going to humiliate you. I'm going to remove your yeah. body part for the purposes of illustrating that you're a machine. Is that is one of the like most harrowing moments in the show, and it, it was would really be like funny. taking off a uh, um, uh, an amputee's prosthetic limb. Yeah, and but just yeah, to demonstrate showing it to people. Yeah, yeah. It, it's it's really messed up. And and I was watching again with my with my uh, housemates, and and one of them was like, you know, I'm really getting some, I'm really getting some, you know, trans uh, gender a uh, 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 court case vibes from this. What with I the did like, too. yeah, right. Like there's like there like I mean obviously there's direct references to slavery. Like that's like an extremely mm-hmm. major part of the show. But in that portion, there is something particularly uh, a, a strong parallel between the idea of the invasion of privacy and the disrespect for basic human dignity that you see in mm-hmm. in cases in contemporary cases. Uh, against you know trans people that is very similar that very much involves around the spectacle of of making a spectacle out of somebody's bodies out of somebody's body and the complete disregard for privacy not to mention of course the uh the very very pointed use 
of uh, against Data's will of using it pronouns to oh, yes. so many over him. and over again. Yeah, even the Jack officer. In my notes, she did it. it says this whole yeah. episode is just misgendering Data. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like aggressively, oh. like just completely aggressively. dehumanizing him, de- dehuman, and obviously, like obviously, he's like an android, but like. The term of dehumanized does not literally have anything to do with being a human. Yeah, depersonalized. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 removing the personhood of somebody. Um, and and I I remember there's actually two moments in the episode that are like this. The one is where Maddox just like sort of goes into his private quarters and starts touching his stuff, mm-hmm. which is just I know like, he's like, don't you usually ask before you come into someone's room? But Maddox doesn't even see him as a someone. Yeah, you he know? doesn't. Yeah, and uh, yeah, it's it, it's very very. It goes past like dramatic effect and then becomes too real because it's like Mm -hmm. for a bit of the episode, you're like, oh, my God, this is really on the nose. And then it keeps going and it's like, okay, wait, this is actually really, really on the nose and it really hurts because God, does it draw some parallels to our our existence now? Mm hmm. Yeah. So uh, after the. After Riker's uh, arguments, uh, Picard calls a recess because he feels like he got his ass kicked. Uh, And he goes to 10 forward, as you do, because Guinan is going to be there to drop her pearls of wisdom. And (laughs) she points out how uh, throughout history, there have always been disposable people uh, who have uh, who our society has been built on. And uh, if Bruce Maddox wins this case and Data is not a person... And Maddox gets to build a bunch of datas that are all property of Starfleet. What does that make them? Slaves. Well, and thank God she was here to remind Picard of that, right? Yeah, because he, <laughs> that hadn't occurred to him. Yeah. Well, I mean, it. it I, I don't know. I feel like it does kind of. But like there's a part where she says um, where she's like where, where he's like, oh, they would be slaves. And then she's like, well, you know, that's putting it harshly. And then he's kind of like. No, that's not putting it harshly. Like, no, this is exactly what it is. I, I, I really liked that conversation. I thought, I mean, obviously they're always good, but like, but right. I, I thought it was good because it's like, it, it kind of shows the process of like Picard. I, I guess I would say like, like him, him, uh, distilling his sort of sentiments into something that can be presented to others. Uh, because one of the things that like seems to be a major theme of this is like Picard's, uh, uh, his sort of disdain for uh, like dogmatic adherence to mm-hmm. regulation. Uh, he makes numerous jabs at that uh, throughout the episode. And I think it's interesting to see him sort of take his, his way of thinking about things and, and condense it down into like, Oh wait, no, like this, this is slavery. That is not putting mm-hmm. it harshly. That is exactly what it is. It's not just something I personally disagree with. This is a, systemic thing that's going to affect lots of people so yeah 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 it's also interesting um too because in uh star trek picard there's um this episode isn't referenced directly but the first season of star trek picard actually uh deals very much with some of these themes because there is a terrorist attack that was carried out by androids and as a result the federation bans androids but the androids that did it were basically like data clones and they're all treated like shit before they do it. 
And you're looking right. at this like this is what this is what Picard was warning us about. Now these ones yeah. they're not as complicated as Data. They're not like fully they're not fully sentient, but they all have the gold skin and the yellow eyes, and uh-huh. they kind of look like look and move like Data. And they're the ones who carry out the attack. So um, it was very much. I'm I'm sure that the writers had hmm. this episode in mind when they set that up, and it's like ooh, yeah. that's chilling. Yeah, it it sort of indicates some of the uh, some of the unresolved. Uh, carryovers that that still exist within the within the federation so uh picard goes to give his statements and a lot of what he his argument is built on is uh sentiment um particularly data's capacity for sentiment because he looks through the little tote that data packed when he was resigning his commission things that he was going to take with him he's got his service medals and picard asks well why did you take those he's like i don't know it just they felt like they meant something to me. Uh, he's got a, a book that Picard had given him as a gift, and he reminded him of his uh, friendship with Picard. And, and uh, did they happen to say what the book was? Because I was really hoping it was it was Sherlock Holmes. But they did they meant? I was trying to. I didn't catch if they said who what the book was. I didn't catch what the book was either. Uh, Maddox did read a line from it, so I'm sure if I Google that, I could find out what the book is. Oh yeah, he did. That's right. But uh, and then the final thing is a hologram of Tasha. And Data's very hesitant to talk about that because mm-hmm. he's like, no, I, I, know. I promised Tasha I, I wouldn't tell anyone about this. And Picard's like, I think in this case, I, I think Tasha wouldn't mind. I think she'd be okay with it. And so he talks about how they they were intimate. And, and even though she's gone, you know, she holds a, a special place uh, for him. It's one But of even the, the fact that he didn't want to talk about it was so yeah. human. Like the fact mm-hmm. that he had yeah. made a promise to Tasha was so human that he didn't want to break that promise. You know, if he was just a logical computer, he would look at it and go, oh, it would help me in this case to betray Tasha. He wouldn't have that sentimentality about it. Mm-hmm. And I want to point out here, like, the there is in this throughout this entire episode you know we've touched on a couple examples of it but there's this consistent uh there's this consistent focus put on the sort of arbitrary invasiveness of the entire process uh yes. like data is forced mm-hmm. to have his arm taken off in front of people he's forced to be shut down in front of other people he's forced to talk about his intimate relationship with a human that died uh in front of other people his 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 his, his personal space is invaded and there's this all all of this because the the powers that be some individual within the powers that be decided that he could potentially be useful as a tactical advantage like there's nothing that data did to provoke any of this except for exist exist which is just yeah. there's yeah, two lines harrowing. in particular uh the first one that i'm thinking of is when Picard's trying to talk Data into doing it at the beginning, and Data, you know, points out, well, if Jordy's eyes are better than yours, you know, why doesn't everyone get cybernetic eyes? But then, mm-hmm. and when Picard doesn't have a response, he's like, it's precisely because I am not human. Yeah. And the second line is when he finds out that he's not allowed to leave Starfleet. He says, yeah. "From limitless options, I am reduced mm-hmm. to one." Yeah. Yeah. And you can see it like even though Data doesn't have emotions in the way that a human does, you can see that there is a level of despair uh, through the episode. Even at the beginning, when he notices Maddox come on yeah. the bridge, he's like, I remember you. Yeah, you're the yeah. you're he was the only guy who uh, voted against Data's uh, admission to Starfleet on the council. 
Yep. And he's like, yep. I remember this guy. I don't trust this guy. This guy's yeah. bad news. And right during this part where they bring Tasha out and they're talking about this, I think it's Picard said our children property. And, you know, this mm-hmm. is actually something I'm kind of passionate about because, no, children are not property as much as people think their children are their property. Um, they're human beings that, yes, sure, you had sex and you made them and now they exist. But that does not mean they are your property. You don't get to decide what they do and say and how they act. And I'm very passionate about this. And I couldn't quite tell where Picard was going, but it seemed to be that children aren't property was what he was implying but a lot of people sure do think children are property you know yeah this is actually something i mean of course uh uh, of course some some people who know some of my other stuff know that this has been an issue of contention i've engaged in in that discussion numerous times of this idea that like i mean right now a lot of people really do think they children are property they treat children like property and uh that extends not just to the sort of uh, common arguments that people make. Oh, well, like what? Do you think kids should just be allowed to touch a hot stove? It's like, right. no, you're you're taking uh, you're taking a sort of protective and, and uh, kind action uh, and you're using that as a justification to say, oh, well, because children don't know everything about the world yet, that means I get to decide everything for them. Uh, including things they don't want to do or things that might hurt them, and I mm-hmm. think that's like such a sickening position. And I'm it's I'm glad disgusting. that like it's brought up yeah. in in parallel. There's a lot of uh, that's another thing I like about this episode a lot is there's a there's parallels made not just to one uh, liberatory struggle or liberation struggle, uh, mm-hmm. but multiple. Um, there's distinct you know. Uh, uh, decision making in that front that I think is really effective. Yeah, I agree. I just thought I thought in that way, I was so excited to see him bring it up in that context because so many people, especially 1989, thought their yeah. ki- thinks their kids are their property. I mean, I see it to this day. I see people, you know, the whole "I brought you into this world, I can take oh, you out of it." No, worst. you can't. That's yeah. murder. You know, you- <laughs> that's murder. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, like it's. It, I mean, my kids are my kids. You know, I, I have them and they exist, and I'm here to nurture them. But I don't control what they do. You know. Yeah. Nor should you. Nor should anybody. Like. Yeah. We shouldn't. You have should, that they, type they're of they're, they're people. And yeah. I've really felt that here. And and what what Gayfish said about. Um, how you could feel the sadness this just this episode blew me away for brent spiner's ability to act i just i really liked it i thought this was my, this has actually been my favorite data episode so far i love data uh i always I've, I've always loved data i know some people uh don't like the way that he acts and whatever but i love data. i don't know anyone i think brent spiner is well, I know one I person. I, I know I have. I think there's a couple of anti-data people out there. Which you know what? They're 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 all the well, they're Maddox all Pulaski there, fans. So. Yeah, exactly. So speaking uh, of Pulaski, why would you ever invite her to a poker game? <laughs> <laughs> She's so boring. Um, true. Uh, but uh, yeah, no, like I think that I think it's cool because this this is an episode that very effectively. Um, it's it's actually kind of funny because because uh, Picard is sort of made fun of by Maddox for um, for being like oh you're just making emotional appeals and it's like okay <laughs> yeah. but mm-hmm. yeah yeah actually that's kind of relevant here whether or not uh, we can whether or not there can be you know empathizing empathizing between two beings that process emotions differently I think that's one of the things that is recurring. 
um, with Data's storyline, and I think this episode does like a really good job of it. It's like he doesn't not experience emotions. He mm-hmm. does. He just experiences. He just constructs them and processes them via a different process than most people. Um, and that doesn't mean that they're less or that they don't exist. It just means they have a different appearance and that some people can't recognize those as emotions. And perhaps right. even Data doesn't yet, which I mean, I think that's self-evident in his storyline, that Data doesn't have the words yet to describe what his emotions are or how they work. And uh, There's a reason why there are so many autistic Star Trek fans. I mean, yeah. Like, I mean, I, I think that, I mean, Data is, a, there's a big part of, commentary on neurodivergence in the general storyline of data i think that's very intentional um but i think sometimes it's like i think sometimes it's missed missed for lesser things and it's funny because this episode is sort of the quintessential like a like ai you know android rights setup Mm -hmm. but it does go a bit it does go further than just making an argument about well are are could robots be people no it's like how could uh could a machine be a person and how are humans feeling machines like which is what we are um, when picard are... takes over the the trial and he starts trying to make maddox prove that picard is sentient mm. i was like yeah i can't prove i'm sentient i can't prove that everything i ever do isn't pre-programmed <laughs> you know yeah. like how do you prove somebody is sentient and i thought it was a smart clever way for the writers to go with it i thought it was really clever but... there was a line in this episode too that uh, maddox said that uh, Star Trek actually does uh, latch onto and explore in a future episode. And because like, Maddox was like, you know, this is all sentiment. If data was a box on wheels, we wouldn't be having this conversation. And he's right in a way in that the other humans probably wouldn't recognize it because data having a human appearance does help to humanize him to them. There is mm-hmm. a future episode in which data recognizes that, um, there are there's some robotic tools that have developed sentience, but other people don't recognize it. But he does. And he advocates for them. Yeah. And they just look like little, you know, like little triangle things with robot feet that have like a multi tool at the front. They just look hmm. like a tool. But he's like, yeah. no, these are people. Interesting. That's, yeah. That, that's kind of along the same line, right? Like that, that data's emotions don't look like everybody else's. They don't unfold in the same way and so some people don't recognize them as existing at all uh i i i I think that's probably one of the things that that star trek as a whole does a pretty good job of doing is challenging like our uh our prejudice towards like things that look exactly like us and Mm -hmm. and recognizing that the function of the function of emotions can be the same even if the way that they unfold or the way that they're constructed is slightly different. But I mean, how human for humans to decide to like judge people or judge people, judge judge whether something is sentient or not by whether how human they are, right? It's so yeah, human. By how human, yeah. Very <laughs> yeah. Uh, they're like, okay, well, is this thing human enough to be human? Well, how about if it's just its own thing? Because why do we are why are we the end all be all for deciding what sentience is and isn't right it's, that yeah. actually makes me think of um there was a recent episode of star trek discovery where uh they were pointing out how the universal translator itself is very biased that mm. um 
it's very good in, at translating confirmation bias from Federation standard to Klingon is the line because uh, and we even talked about the Universal Translator last episode because there was a, a deaf man who Universal Translator doesn't work on because it only translates audio. It doesn't do like sign language voicing. <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah. Um, and so the, 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 the way that the Federation engages is they seek out life that is similar to them, that they uh, communicate with in similar ways. And so there's uh, there, there is an inherent bias there where they don't look for things they aren't thinking to look for. Well, this is a constant problem in the real world with all kinds of algorithmic, uh, you know, learning AIs and, and automatic, uh, uh, you know, content generated uh, uh, al- algorithms that generate content. Like you, you, we saw this even with things like uh, like facial recognition software, where there's huge uh, gender and racial biases right. in yeah. it that are totally that, – that they're not even – it's not even the direct, the immediate bias of the individuals who make it. It's not like there was a racist on the team, like a, a like a, a dude who's just dropping slurs every five seconds programming your algorithm. It's just the fact that, oh, a bunch of white people are making an algorithm and, well, they're going to they're gonna train it up on their coworkers first, who are also white people, and right. there's going to be a whole bunch of things that they don't realize. Uh, by the time that the algorithm goes out, it's already been from its base – uh, tested and 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 shaped to favor uh, seemingly invisible uh, to the people who made it uh, traits. And, there was a yeah better off Ted episode where they had uh, read they had installed a new system that would like use biometrics for basically everything getting like activating uh, the elevator using water fountains uh, getting through doors. Um, but it didn't recognize any of the black employees. Yeah. I remember that episode. Yeah. And they ended up like, instead of ripping out the system, they just like hired white people to t- trail around the black people and activate <laughs> things for them. And then because it was illegal to have a job opening only for white people, they had to also open it up to black people to be assistants. But then because the black people that they hired as assistants wouldn't be recognized by the system, they had to hire white people for them too. And so they're like, okay, let's, let's cut the system. <laughs> the, the, the sunk, the sunk cost fallacy of like, uh, no, we can't, we can't fix the systemic racial bias problem. We have to just, we have to just come up with a, ridiculous workaround right (laughs) yeah yeah um oh my god uh there is there's so much there's uh, there's so much in this episode that 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 draws parallels to topics i talk about on my politics stream all the time uh, with (laughs) regard to um the sort of arrogant presumptiveness uh, and projection of worldview that just keeps occurring. It's this episode slams on it so hard, and I, I really, I really appreciate that that about it because uh, I, I did think- too, especially for the era it's from. You know, from yeah, 1989. Yeah, yeah. like there was yeah. a reason that I asked you specifically on this episode because I knew you would have good things to say about this one. Um, this is one oh, of you. my three favorite episodes of Star Trek: The Next Generation, and I think i said this in a previous uh, episode of the podcast that i will say when we get to one of my three favorites but this is the first one awesome. i did not know that yeah i mean a and, good a good choice in my opinion um, <laughs> and the, the, the three that i have picked i have picked them for very different reasons i think they all uh exemplify um the strengths of the different kinds of storytelling that star trek has and this one is very much 
the strongest of the uh the morality tales that Star Trek tells the um the consideration of the different and and the the recognition of different forms of life and 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 different people and and equality and rights and all that and that's something Star Trek's always been really good at telling. Sometimes it's been pretty on the nose, like when you have yeah. a, a, a race that is ha- white on one side and black on the other, and they fight over which side the black side is. <laughs> but <laughs> I think yeah. this one, um, it's a little. I I, I think it's. Still pretty on the nose, but uh, probably handled with a uh, uh, not not so much of a hammer. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I yeah. think it's just I think it's just very it's it's definitely loud and in the and on the nose, but it's incredibly accurate. I don't think it's I don't think it's possible for it to I don't think it's it's fair for anybody to say that that it's like you know careless with what it's delivering. It's yes, it's extremely pointed. It's it's very much pointing a finger directly at the audience and going, "You should be thinking about these things too." Um, mm-hmm. but it does so very, very effectively and, and accurately and with uh, a lot of sensitivity, uh, that I appreciate. Um, and, and yeah, uh, the, there's, there's another, there's another, <laughs> uh, part of this. Okay. This is really funny. Uh, <laughs> this is a total side, almost a side note, but okay. <laughs> okay. At the end of the episode. Did we notice the 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 are you paying for for dinner part? Are you I paying did notice for that. <laughs> I love that ending because first of all, it's like wait a minute, who's paying for anything? There's no here? money in the future. There's no there's no fucking money. But secondly, it's like ah yes, we just had an episode about like carryover prejudice. <laughs> it's like immediately like the the gender tension is immediately reintroduced and like like almost laughed off at the end of the episode. I, I just thought that was a great touch. Uh, I, it was <laughs> I, as, I assume that line was, was just there. Like, like it's a figure of speech. Like obviously yeah, yeah, it's yeah. the future. They don't, they don't buy anything and then they're just going up to the replicator to have it made. So yeah. I just, I just thought, it, I just think it's very funny outside of the, like when you, if you step outside of the universe and you go, okay, so they just had a conversation about uh, humanity slavery and then it's like immediately just like ah yes this extremely outdated <laughs> highly gendered uh tradition plus why I, I i couldn't stand that lady i don't know why you'd want to go to dinner with her anyway i did not like her at all i had a hard time uh, liking her i really tried to like her i did even when she came around but i i just i couldn't like her my partner like was her. like uh, my partner was like uh was like wait a minute how didn't you weren't you just uh, when 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 she tells <laughs> off Maddox for be, for like using the wrong pronouns for uh, for data she and also like, you were just them. doing that I'm like yeah. and I was like my response to my partner was like yeah but she's already been established as a complete asshole so <laughs> well she she's the woke white woman now so she yeah, she knows yeah, exactly. everything right yeah, now, yeah she's never done anything wrong <laughs> she made the, she made the ruling now there wasn't a ruling before now yeah. he's being offensive Uh, (laughs) how dare the the court has determined this is extremely offensive and so now she can be like yeah now just like extremely legal minded um Mm -hmm. uh to the 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 lawyer brain of unbelievable degree we have Uh, now defined that data is a person so you may now use his correct pronouns yeah and if you don't (laughs) then i'll call you an idiot even though i was just doing it literally 10 seconds ago like literally 10 seconds ago so one of yeah. my favorite lines that made me laugh was starfleet doesn't ignore its own regulations when it becomes inconvenient because yes yeah, they, they do. do all the time <laughs> picard has the violated time. the prime directive on multiple occasions even know, when he I says was... he's not he totally is doing it 
<laughs> I know. I was like, what in the heck, guys? At least, you know, have a little bit more self-awareness. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I mean, isn't that isn't that the purview of representatives of such powers is that they always say that they don't that they follow all their own rules and they never do. (laughs) That's true. Uh, Data is exactly the kind of person that would save wrapping paper, too. That that was another part of the episode that I thought was hilarious because he's exactly the kind of person that would be like, oh, I must save this paper for later. (laughs) I could use it. I could use it to rewrap in the future. And I love how once when when Wesley's like, you're missing the point, Data. At that point, the wrapping is already off and already (laughs) able to be saved. I know. Because Data is like, well, I'm trying to be more human. And Wesley's like, you're missing the point. He takes the perfect wrapping paper that has been separated and tears it in half. (laughs) I know, I know. I thought it was great. But I want to read that Klingon novel. Me too. That's what I was thinking. It was like <laughs> Worf is like the novel, the 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 the, for, the art form of the novel was perfected by the Klingons, and it's I just know. Like, it's like, ooh, give me damn, that. That's gonna it. be a good ass novel. Then <laughs> I want to read the Dream of the Fire. Uh, I know by Kratak. That sounds awesome. <laughs> that reminds me of Star Trek Six. There was a lengthy discussion uh, in the uh, the dinner scene in Star Trek Six about how you have not experienced true Shakespeare until you have read it in the original Klingon. And the villain of the movie, General <laughs> Chang, basically every line that he has is a Shakespeare quote, uh, and he's and uh, he's played by. Um, why am I blanking on the actor's name? He played uh, Captain Von Trapp in uh, Santa Music. Um, oh, Christopher oh. Plummer. Christopher yeah, Plummer. Plummer. And he's Plummer. hamming it up the whole time, having a blast. And I, yeah, I, but um, I think that because of that line, uh, Mark Okrand, who is the the lead developer of the Klingon language, I think he translated the complete works of Shakespeare into Klingon. Oh, That's really? In- Interesting. Absolutely incredible. <laughs> I, I love it. I, I love it. Um, so the final scene of the show is uh uh Riker's sitting off by himself in the conference room and Data's like we're having a party in the holodeck do you want to come and Riker's like I don't deserve to be there I almost won that case I almost stripped you of your rights I was almost too good at my job yeah and, and Data's <laughs> like well if you hadn't taken that job she would have ruled summarily right yeah I have the the quote here that act injured you and saved me I will not forget it yes. and then and then he says, you're a wise man, my friend. And then Data replies, not yet, sir, but with your help, I'm learning. With your help, and I'm learning. I wrote that part that down, too, because I just thought it was so, so good. Yeah, cute. That is so cute. Uh, mm-hmm. So uh, this won't make sense to anyone who's not familiar with my own uh, my own situation, but it will make sense to Gayfesh, which was <laughs> that that Doe, like, audibly was like, oh, when that scene happened. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I know. It's like the it is such a great way to end the episode. And um i don't know uh i love it i love that ending it is very wholesome and also very very much uh needed after uh an episode like that Riker needed forgiveness in that episode and data was there to give it to him because Riker was put in an unenviable position where he did harm to data uh, mm-hmm. I mean, he he humiliated Data in that courtroom, and it was his job to do so. And so, I, having that bookend where Data's like, "No, y- you you're my friend, and you saved my life." Um, yeah, it needed that. 
Well, I think the demon mama hit it on the head with the whole how uncomfortable it was taking off the hand and like showing it around everybody. And that was such an uncomfortable moment between the two of them that they really did have to have a moment. Otherwise, like if we just ignored that extremely humiliating, uncomfortable moment, we would it would have not it would have still been sitting there, at least in the back of my head, that it needed to be addressed. So because it was so hard, it was hard to watch. Yeah, this the sort of short short scene at the end, um, I think it really seals off the emotional impact of the episode in a way where I think the rest would be less impactful if it wasn't there. Uh, yes, of course, it's always a very good feeling to see two characters that you like resolve their issues. Um, but also, it's like, it's an acknowledgement that both characters felt what was going on in that room. And then mm-hmm. but perhaps from obviously, obviously, and you know, definitionally from different perspectives, but that they both acknowledged the severity and the, the danger of of the stakes that were on both sides. And yet their friendship held ultimately strong despite that. And mm-hmm. I think that like that's the best way to to uh, to show that is to show that like uh, Riker understood the gravity of what was going on there, but Data also understood the uh, the sort of inhumanity of the machine that was putting both of them into this position. Um, right. Because it wasn't. It wasn't. Riker did everything that he could to not be in that position. He was essentially, much like Data, forced into a position that's, you know, the stakes weren't directly on his, the immediate stakes weren't on his head. You know, he can choose to go along with it. But what's his other option? Resign? Uh, and then right. also damn his friend to disassembly. Yeah, he doesn't really have much of a choice. And uh, I don't know. I think it's really great to see them both acknowledge one another's like mutual, uh, mutual unjust treatment by the the court the, by the court that that was just held. Yeah, and it was very human too. Like of data mm-hmm. <laughs> to yeah. like have that conversation. It was very human, you know. Yeah, there was it a is. great bit where Data has won the case and he goes to Maddox and says, I refuse the procedure. And Maddox is like, I'll cancel the the request. And Data says, your work is intriguing. Keep at it. Mm -hmm. Keep in contact with me. Yeah. When you're ready, I'll still be around. And um, Bruce Maddox uh, is actually referenced later in Star Trek. Uh, It turns out uh, Data still corresponds with him. So even though this guy was ready to, you know, uh, deny Data's uh, personhood and uh, tear him apart. Uh, Data was very quick to forgive and to work with him. It, it, he's a bigger man than I would have been. I, I would have probably <laughs> been like, hey, uh, don't walk near an airlock anywhere near me because I probably will shove you out it. <laughs> Somewhere in my notes it says this episode has so many punchable people. So yes, bigger person than me too. I probably yeah. would have just punched him out. But yeah. <laughs> Well, okay. So there's there's two two parts of that 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 I want to touch on. First of all, it's it's it 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 is a nice touch to have like the most gra- gracious and forgiving character in the entire episode to be the person who just got put through ultimate hell. Um, yeah. Like Data's Data's grace in dealing with all of that is uh, more than I think almost anyone can imagine having. Like I can't imagine keeping my cool in a situation like that. No. Um, but another thing I just remembered that I, I remembered what I was going to say earlier and I think it's still relevant. <laughs> so I was recently reading, uh, a, a, a paper. I didn't even really actually like the paper all that much, but there was a part where in this paper they were talking about a, 
a perspective on Alan Turing and the Turing test. And they sort of uh, hypothesized that part of the reason that like, uh, Al, you know, Alan Turing was, was so, uh, you know, capable of, of developing this, uh, this concept of the Turing test was because he had lived his entire life being denied humanity. So he developed the Turing test from the position of the one being tested, um, as a, hmm. as a highly, highly, just, you know, highly, uh, marginalized gay man who had basically had to learn to hide away the things that could literally get you, uh, you know, killed, arrested, uh, persecuted, um, and did that and did yes, literally extensively that, um, that he learned the, 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 from the reverse angle, what things are going to be asked to determine personhood. And that's so, so interesting. His, I knew none of this. That is so yeah, interesting. Isn't, isn't that wild? Like, I mean, obviously, I, I don't know if, if Alan Turing wrote about that aspect himself or if this was like a conscious thing. But as a historical analysis, recognizing that the Turing test was developed from essentially societally from the perspective of the one being tested was uh, something that I found profound. And I think it applies here very well. The idea mm-hmm. that like um, it that that a lot of times the 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 inhumanity of others is presumed um and there are these sort of um not wholly rational or fair uh uh signs that are tested for uh to determine is this person worthy of life and that mm-hmm. you know rec- zooming out and realizing that that is the sort of setup that was just sort of passively existing under the surface this whole time is a bit harrowing um to recognize to see that like Mm -hmm. okay yeah like there is a form of this this you know this test this turing test that everybody knows like how do you find out if an ai is is actually a thinking person or a sentient being well you know uh this ties back to the the biases that we were talking about that can be present in in the prejudices that can be present even in systems that we think are robust like no like um as it turns out the question alone of like how do you determine something's uh sentience or its personhood that in and of itself can be the process the questions that are asked can be discriminatory and marginalizing in and of themselves Mm-hmm. Yeah. And forcing people to like prove what they are in various different ways is so harmful to people, you know, like having to prove that you are, uh, you know, trans enough is an example. The first one off mm-hmm. the top of my head, like, are you the gender that you say you are? People always have a million questions and stuff. And I work with young gay kids because I, I, I help run the GSA at the high school I work at. And, you know, I tell them all the time, that's your choice. It's your choice. But people always want you to meet the hoops that they expect you to jump through and you're expected to jump through them you know and so yeah it's really interesting to look at it and the episode from that perspective you know yeah there's 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 like there's like varying degrees of that as well that like you could draw of course exactly like you said you can draw a lot of parallels to uh, the experience of, of of queer people in our society but I think there's Mm -hmm. like there's multiple ways there's I mean we recognize it most people will recognize it easily when there's or more easily when it's presented to something like this, a court case that determines whether or not someone is a person. But mm-hmm. I think that um, a lot of the little passive acts that are depicted in this episode are very representative of the daily that daily struggle of 
okay, yeah. here are a bunch of, uh, there is a bunch of people out there. In this case, it it's not the, the, the staff of the Enterprise. The staff of the Enterprise have, you know, they've all, the, the crew of the Enterprise have accepted him without ever needing to ask any questions like that. You know what I mean? Like it is yeah. almost self-evident from their engagements with him that he is a person, but there's a whole bunch of people who uh, essentially passively demand that data speak uh, for what he is, something that they don't have to do. They're not required. Well, to and do someone that. up at high, higher up at Starfleet had signed the order to right. move him over without even talking to him. Like what, that happens to people all the time too. You know, where right. like things happen, and it was just completely out of his control. And would you want to be on trial to have to prove that you're a human? I think that was the question that the episode asked. What would you say? How would you prove you were human? You right. know, and and I mean, if to to draw to a direct to a like immediate politically relevant. A, a topic we just had in Texas a a, mm-hmm. a bill go through that did exactly that. It is essentially saying like no, like uh, like kids who are are who are in treatment for for gender dysphoria uh, are now to be investigated by the state. Them and their parents can be investigated by the state. They didn't do anything wrong. They were just living their life and seeking out solutions to their own problems. And now right. they're being investigated by a hostile entity that is demanding them justify l- doing the things that they have found to work for themselves and that they have found to be uh, uh, perfectly, you know, like, like make them happy. That is, that is, right. there's so many, there's so many direct parallels of that, of this sort of like um, out of nowhere being blindsided by an entity that is asking you to justify the basic foundation of your existence. Why it should let you continue to be who you are. You know who you are, but now you need to prove it to me or I'm not going to let you because I know better than you. Yeah. Yeah, Or I'm going to disassemble you so that I can improve my, uh, my, uh, the ships in my fleet. Mm Mm-hmm. Exactly. Uh, Oof. I'm just like, I'm shaking a little bit with anger. (laughs) It makes me so mad, you know? And again, I think that speaks to the the continued uh, relevance and power of this episode and the the presentation of the issues and, of course, the gravity with which the actors uh, handle the issues. Yeah, I think it was just I think it's one of the best ones that I've seen so far. And obviously, if it's in your top three Gayfesh, then obviously you too, right? Yeah. Well, thanks for joining us today. I'm Ari. And I'm Gayfesh. And I'm Demon Mama. And until next time, live long and prosper. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed it, don't forget to subscribe and consider writing a review in your podcast service. We're on Twitter at Rest Both Worlds. Join our Patreon at patreon.com slash restofbothworlds for bonus content and hear your name at the end of each episode.